And we're live with our 180th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky, joined by my co-host from Las Vegas, Nevada, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. (laughs) Seth, do your thing. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode, number 180. Um, Feels rather momentous. Uh, We're getting up there. I obviously brought brought to you from uh, sunny, hot Las Vegas and somehow muggy. It's been, you know, kind of strange, but um, I'm here for DEFCON and for the week and in preparations for our trainings on Monday and Tuesday, uh, practical secure code review with Seth and Ken is going to be off the hook. Uh, otherwise, um, come find me if you are going to the villages during DEFCON and you're in town, stop by the info booth there. I'll be there in the mornings until about 1 or 2 p.m. Um, at the booth, helping do the hacker tracker scheduling stuff and helping out the info team, the info goon team. So I, ha- I will have stickers. I only brought a couple of shirts because I had, you know, I flew, so I didn't have a lot of storage. So you know, it's kind of first come, first serve as far as the shirt shirt goes that i have um otherwise i do have stickers and you know other stuff would love to, love to catch up i was i was thinking i was going to stop by the croc store while i'm here ken pick up <laughs> some crocs to wear Make around sure you the get some bright college. white socks to go with it exactly yeah either bright white or black or, or, or deep black one of the two right um i have yeah. shirts and i just realized like i have them but since i'm coming in sunday after probably everybody's leaving or the day that most people are probably leaving it's like i can't really hand them out should i bring i mean i, I can bring them i mean nah yeah, okay. i i mean yeah if you wanted to bring a couple but i i don't think it i we're sending them out right so if people would like a shirt and some swag um we're more than happy than to ship that to our listeners so Hit us up, join uh, join the Slack channel, and hit me up. I've got a, you know a stack of like five or six that are ready to go out this next week, or as soon as I get around to it when I get back. So um, if I do, if you don't get one from me in Vegas, that you know, don't despair. We will be able to ship you one. Um, yeah, let's see what else is going on. I don't know. I, uh, Ken, have you been paying attention to you know any of the Black Hat talks or anything that's coming up? I know you've been super busy work wise, so yeah, I've been me. swamped. Unfortunately, know, my yeah, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say, I know James Kettle, uh, Albino Wax on Twitter is speaking right now on browser side HTTP uh, smuggling or yeah, whatever it is, right? Um, somehow targeting browsers to do some of the request smuggling. So it should be interesting to see what that research is when he actually posts it, um, since oh. obviously we're not in the talk. So there's a new new iteration. So this is using was, other victim browsers to test request smuggling or to perform request smuggling, maybe? I I, I, I think so, just kind of based on what he's intimated. Uh, I know I was I was looking at his Twitter earlier today, um, and he, had, he was posting some things about the demo and how it may or may not work on the, you know, the Black Hat Wi-Fi, because, of course, it may or may not work on the Black Hat Wi-Fi. Um, yeah. Yeah, how to turn their victim's browser into a desync delivery platform. Uh, so I wonder if they're, they're using some sort of cross-site scripting. I mean, obviously, cross-site scripting, JavaScript attacks, something along those lines to do request smuggling through a browser, a targeted, a victim browser. We'll see. We'll see. I, I'm sure it'll be interesting. They always do good work out over at Port Swigger, and James is a, is a good speaker. So we'll see okay. what that one looks like. Um, I don't know. I mean, that that's the only one I've kind of been tracking. I know there's a lot of other stuff that's coming out. I haven't even looked through the AppSec Village talks. Um, there's, yeah. I mean, if you look at info.defcon.org, if you're online or one of the Hacker Tracker apps, um, they'll have it available to you, right? Let's see if I can do a search here. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in any of the new novel techniques and obviously like but I think from a, and actually, I guess this is a conversation that was brought up on our Slack channel, AppSec versus uh, product security. But from a like internal defender product security standpoint, you know, the, the things that are always interesting are like CSP, CSP bypasses or just novel new, you know, techniques that kind of circumvent your controls that you have in place. Um, 
I just use CSP as an example. Yeah. Sweet. New SQL injection. I don't know. I'm kind of looking through the uh, AppSec Village talks because uh, there is some interesting cipher queries, modern graph databases, and injection techniques there. That could be interesting. Agility broke AppSec. Now it's going to fix it. Uh, this is from Roy Ehrlich, Jim Manico. Yeah. Did you say Agile? It says Agile broke AppSec. Yeah. Now it's going to hmm. fix it. I don't know. Chris Romeo is giving a talk on threat modeling. Incident response about log4j. Uh, you probably don't need to listen to me go through this. But if you're interested, if you're going to be up there, please stop by. I'd love to see. You know, anyone that's in town, um, we could, if you're going to be here Sunday, let us know because Ken will be in that day and we'll, we could, you know, go grab drinks or something like that as a podcast, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, see. I got text. <laughs> I started getting text messages last night like, hey, are you here? Or are you? And I'm like, I came out of yeah. training uh, and I was like, huh, okay. Uh, I forgot. Everybody's there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I um, I mean, last night I saw Nathan Hamill and some of the old Fishnet crew right, uh, that are around. Do you know that's probably roughly 13 years ago at this point that we worked with Nathan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. 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 That, that sounds about right. You know, 2010, 2009, 2010, we we're speaking at, you know, Black Hat and defcon and doing all the things so mm -hmm. oh um, yeah you were you were actually with nathan on stage giving a talk about mm -hmm. a ios testing framework harness you all had built before there was anything even remotely like that you guys were like yeah. first to the first first uh score kind of with that first to score that was i, I mean mm -hmm. it was fun and then it became a huge cat and mouse game with uh ios jailbreaking and trying to get the tool to run and like all of our libraries loaded and eventually just became too much right so yeah. if you're doing ios testing and you're doing it on in an automated fashion look at the thick data theorem guys or corellium there's other tools that are out there that are available but it was an interesting interesting time frame um yeah yeah so i i don't know uh, vegas is always good um at least to catch up like i've missed the hallway con for sure right this feels like the first yeah. one where it's really back and really large I think DEF CON is going to be pretty big. Black Hat over at Mandalay Bay was large. Um, I mean, it's going today, tomorrow as well. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff. But um, if you see something that's interesting to you, please hop into the Slack channel and share it or, you know, tweet us about something that's interesting that you'd want us to talk about because there is, there's so much noise right now. It's really hard to pick out the interesting talks and topics if you're not, if we're not sharing with each other, right? I, I think I, I've, I have a tendency to miss quite a bit of what's going on during this week in Vegas and then have to catch up afterwards. So I, I know you and I both depend pretty heavily on people sharing with us or sharing what their experience was at DEF CON and Black Hat and all the security conferences because otherwise we miss it. And sometimes we the, the guys that are doing super interesting research don't get the credit that is due to them because everybody goes to, you know, uh, you know, James Kettle's talk, but there may be other things that are going on that are just as interesting or maybe even more novel techniques um, that we need to be aware of or, you know, would be good for us to share. Um, along those lines, last night um, at uh, the uh, one of the parties, we were talking with a bunch of the Web3 guys, and I got into a discussion with some of the people that were on calls for the Slope Phantom Wallet incident, Ken. Um, is there another one? I can't even keep no, up with all the breaches. No, man. this is the, this is the one that was a couple weeks ago where they were draining this. There was the draining of the Solana wallets that was going on. Ends up a, was this because someone had an? I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to. No, no, you're fine. Um, yeah, so they ended up draining about eight million dollars out of something like five thousand fifty five hundred different wallets, right? Hmm. Um, and the the question was, okay, how's that actually happening? Um, and so I think, well, the first thing I wanted to share was, what is it? Okay. Like, so it's not the one I was thinking. I was thinking it was maybe the one where they exposed that function externally and uh, mm -mm. the battle out. No, that's, okay. 
This nope, is this, is, this, is, this is different. Okay, so here's the initial um, Solana developers, right? Um, this analytics insight, I don't know. I, uh, there's a number of different articles that are talking about it. Um, but this one, you'll notice Solana said its researchers determined that private key information, um, so if essentially the password mnemonics in a user's crypto wallet was inadvertently transmitted to an application monitoring service, right? Um, oh man. So, uh, yeah. So I got all giddy because I was like, Oh yes. All right. Like we're going to talk about logging again today. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> uh, I could see and where then, I was going. <laughs> I knew, I knew, I know you could. I'm buying you Crocs. at <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I was so excited because I was talking to one of the guys that was on the incident call with Solana and Slope and Phantom, right? Like the team. And he's like, yeah. And like, and it comes down to, so there's this um, OSEC.io, this Twitter thread that you see here um, that I just posted from OtterSec. And these guys were actually involved in the, the IR. And it wasn't somebody from there that I was talking to, but this was a trader. I was trying to find somewhere that they were talking about it. But the second response in there is we have independently confirmed that Slope's mobile app sends off mnemonics via TLS to their centralized Sentry server, right? So Sentry.io is what they're using within the mobile app. And it's sending, yeah, so I don't know. Like this is is the whole like de-serialization of probably the wallet object as they're doing creation. They're sending to Sentry which happens to have all of the mnemonics associated with it that were just generated also, so, you know, also sent across the, the wire, which means someone either got access to their Sentry uh, platform or, you know, one of the Sentry guys did or some, or, you know, it's inside job. They don't, they haven't attributed the attack yet, but it definitely comes from a logging error within the mobile application and probably within the, um, the JavaScript like extension as well, um, just based on the research that these Otter, the OtterSec guys have done. And that's, this yeah, I was just like, it was common. Yeah, uh, common. It, it is so incredibly common. And this is the second instance of this that we've seen in the last week, right? Now, I know you got this email. I got the email from Slack as well, Yeah, right? That most think- recent one. Yeah. I, did I forward you the screenshot when I got it or did I forward the email? I can't remember, but I remember being like, oh, here we go. Because it, it was late at night when I got it. it might, maybe it wasn't yeah. super late for West Coast where they're they're based out of. But for, for us, it was, you know, it was like nine or ten at night. And I was like, oh, OK, here we go. Um, but then yeah. when I read through it, I was like, oh, it's not great, but it's not as, you know, severe as I thought it might be. Um, do you want to describe it at all? Like what exactly happened? Yeah, so that one, and actually, I do have another article. Like, uh, registers was okay here, so I'll post that one up there. Um, I know everybody's really surprised that you know, and they're like, I can't even imagine how that code looked and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, like I can, I can tell you that. I mean, we use our ORMs, and you know, like I think most people watching this probably are familiar with ORMs or database. Um, libraries, libraries to interact with the database from like your web app. But like in reality, a lot of these use, it's a direct mapping, right? Of a model to a, a table. So so for, any, for anyone who doesn't know this, you know, you typically have that concept of models and models have attributes on them, which correspond to columns. So a model is literally a table entry in a database. And then the attributes are literally like column values that um, are attached to that table. And the thing is, is like, as you interact with those models and as you call, like, say a logging function, it's easy to, um, and I, we've talked about this before where it was like, you know, we, we've had this where we called a function incorrectly and it was just like using quotes or not using quotes that separated, you know, from, uh, separated, uh, basically serializing the entire, all the attributes attached to a model object instance, uh, which just basically means like, if you have a user table and you show all of the data associated with that user, that entry in the user table, you're going to see like hashed passwords. You're going to see tokens and things like that. Uh, confidential information, probably sensitive about the person or whatever. And so like when people think it's kind of uncommon, 
And I get with the Slack one why that's a little weird because it's like, well, how did the model object, that specific attribute of the model object end up being sent over a WebSocket? Like I get the confusion there, but it's not yeah. surprising to me. That's what keeps happening is we have these model objects and you can interact with them and you can call logging things. And if you just don't do it right, or even if you're doing it right and maybe you don't understand all the ramifications of how you're calling it or whatever, like, uh, yeah, you just end up like, taking something that was a, an object in memory and then printing it out as a string, but that string has like, it's gigantic and has all the sensitive information. So anyways, yep. that's my enough of my talking there on that. No. And I like, it's super interesting to actually see cause it's um, yeah. I mean, again, you, like that stuff gets logged all the time. It gets like broadcast out like the interactions there as it goes back and forth on a web socket, like, I, I even think it was James Kettle was like, oh, I'm having a hard time, you know, picturing how this is happening, but I'm, I'm with you, right? Like, it was like, no, nah, if you've seen code, if you've seen the way that we handle those objects and we, you know, oh, I've got an error, I'm going to actually just drop that object name right there and it gets deserialized by default and there's no restrictions on it. Uh, it just happens, you know, yeah. So yeah, my easily. guess would be, I was thinking about this and I was like, well, you know, it's it's when an invite link gets clicked, right? Is it correct if I'm wrong? It's when an invite link gets clicked. I don't know if it's when it's get like... clicked or created. I think it's when it's created, right? That's, so that's yeah. what I meant. Yeah, and then but doesn't a notification? I mean, they're alerting like so and so is like Slackbot will tell you like so and so just enter your workspace and all that yep. stuff. And so I'm thinking like that's what happened, right? They probably just passed back some user details that the client you know, parses and says like this user with this email address and this name has entered your workspace, but just like accidentally just like, yeah, expose more attributes in that call. So like, it sounds like it says it's been, this has been happening for years. Yeah. They've probably been just been like serializing the user object and sending it back so that the client can parse that information, not realizing that they're exposing over the website. It's like all of the user attributes, not just like yes. the ones that the client needs to parse. And that seems very yeah. simple. And a very easy mistake to make, especially, you know, when we talk about web sockets, typically inside of a web framework. And I don't know what Slack's built. Do you know what Slack's built on? Is it Golang or is it something uh, else? No, I don't. I, it's, I think it's, it's an Electron app, man. I think it's, it might be Node. I no, no, I mean like the server side. Oh, yeah. I don't know on the server side. I don't know how to top, off the top of my head. Yeah, that would make a difference for sure. Because like, you know, some web frameworks, they have specific pieces of it for like um interactive basically specific paths within the application that just are used for web sockets right and then in that case yeah if you are saying like here get, you know when this happens give this user object over to to this web socket yeah it's it, it, i guess what i'm trying to say is there's magic that could be happening that's already built into your web framework that you don't really realize and when you're passing this over you don't even know that like the web socket's saying like you know, I'm going to, I'm going to provide all these details. I could be totally off the mark here. I probably am, but like I could, that that's one scenario for me that I could envision that being a real possibility. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like who knows what it, what it actually was. I, I, the Slack guys obviously do, but I doubt that the fix was all that complex. Right. Um, I mean, I like dealing with mobile apps and any like, thick client applications, the amount of data that I see go back and forth, especially mobile, like you start looking at those React native applications and they're interacting with APIs and those APIs expose so much data that's suppressed and not used by the front end, right? Um, so it, it'd be very easy for something like a hash or a hashed password to get exposed because it's probably not... It, probably didn't match the, you know, whatever filter that they had in place to protect sensitive data. It's either that or, you know, they are deserializing that object. I, I mean, there's there's a few different ways that it's it could easily slip through the cracks just based on the development that we've seen and the code reviews that we've done over the years, right? There's not, oh yeah, it, it's not surprising to me, right? Like both of these, right? Like, it, you know, warms my like, yeah warmed my heart as far as like oh yes logging is difficult and you know exposure of sensitive data is difficult so it's not difficult to do <laughs> to expose <laughs> no <laughs> it's actually super easy it's uh and you know like I, I again you know i always feel like i have to say this but we 
all share the same problems. We all go through this stuff. Mistakes happen. You, it can't be perfect all the time. And um, I appreciate it when other companies are upfront about that something happened. Yeah. And, you know, in this case, it's like they're letting you know there, there's been a weakness for years and that, you know, they didn't know about it. And but now it's being addressed. And it's I don't know if that's something that could have been swept under the rug. I really don't know. But um, oftentimes, I'm not going to speak to this specific case, but oftentimes, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a thing where it could be swept under the rug, but I really love and appreciate companies that are transparent about, you know, about these things and, and don't just, yeah, yeah, try and cover up the fact that it happened. Yeah, I mean, you know, because Slack easily could have probably quashed a lot of the discussion that's going on there just by not re- like silently patching it because probably not a lot of people realized what was going on. But instead, they were very upfront. They came out. I mean, you and I both got that email that was like, hey, you need to go change your password because, you know, even with 2FA enabled, your hash has been compromised. Um, we don't think that anybody's had access to it, but we don't know because you can't see like what's going on with those, like who's actually monitoring that traffic as it flows back and forth. So, um, yeah, it was it was good that way. I mean, I feel like the in the Web3 space, right, if we go back to the slope wallet attack or the draining that would happened, they're almost forced to be more upfront with what, you know, with the community because everything is in the public, right? Um, you know, in their case, like those transfers are happening and there was a, like, if you were watching the attack as it went on, the draining, it was just like someone was counting down the numbers and the number of wallets that were actually being affected just one at a time because it was this slow roll of, hey, all this data, all this money is being transferred from, you know, thousands of wallets into two or three different addresses, right? Yeah. And we don't know why uh, yeah, was the initial response. Uh, but what's also interesting is Slope did come out and say, and give like a, um, there's like a 10% reward for return of the money, basically, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on, okay. on their Twitter, <laughs> they were like, uh, if you send, if, if we, yeah, whoever sends the money back to this address, right? Like, so I, I send it to not FBI at yeah. FBI.gov. And then, <laughs> <But> yeah, <laughs> to be, maybe I shouldn't say that, but it's true. Come on. <laughs> like, I don't mean to be mean about it, but yeah. So, no. so my, my, my other question was like, did they use a slope wallet, right? To actually transfer money into like, as one of those addresses. Cause couldn't you just go drain it back? But you know, probably not. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> but it would be entertaining if that was the case as well. Oh my God. So. <laughs> so to be clear, give, give the money back to steal both the money and the reward back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, genius. Now look at you. And, no, uh, wow, yeah. that's rough. That's a rough day, man. That's a rough, that's a rough time. So, yeah, yeah. but logging, in the, yes. yes, logging, yeah. uh, logging is important. It really is, but it's, it's easy to screw. I mean, you know, like there's that thing of, you need to have a risk class or excuse me, a data, a data risk classification standard so that you can tell folks or give guidance on what is okay to externally log to external third party services and what is not. And I mean, like, there's a lot that shouldn't be logged to third party. Uh, I mean, cause like in the, I mean, there's many reasons, but one would be an easy one is those services get breached every once in a while. They just do. It happens. Yeah. Or, you know, th- I've seen this too, where just like accounts that should have been purged for one reason or another, haven't been purged, right? Because the employee left or whatever. And so it's still lying around. And then you have people with access to that information after they've left. Uh, sometimes it can take a while to get caught in, in, corporate, in corporate environments. Sometimes the offboarding is, is not perfect. And when you think about the access that some people have, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty numerous and, and difficult to, to get it all right all the time. And so beyond that, so beyond breaches, beyond accounts being left, uh, left behind, you know, there's just, there's the expectation that you don't law. I mean, there's certain compliance requirements and laws that you have to follow around and privacy laws that you have to follow around what is being stored. Um, And so sometimes if, and like, it, it definitely gets worse if you've made a mistake and it's being logged to a third party versus something you internally manage and control. Um, 
So there's another reason. I mean, I've given three pretty solid reasons. I don't know if you want to add to any of that. No, I, I mean, I, I, I did want to dig in on that a little bit, right? Because it, it's a it's a gap, right? There's a, there's a reason why um, identity providers have become a bigger and bigger part of the picture when it comes to corporate environments, right? So you think of something like Okta or Auth0 or any of these other you know, identity providers. And the reason that they're so useful is that you can tie everyone's credentials to all these different servers to a single um, set of credentials, right? So if I log into Okta and then I have tiles to get to something like Sentry, like, you know, like your mail, everything else that is, that's associated with that, that's great. Um, because when someone gets offboarded, you don't have to go to each of the different systems and each of the different applications to deactivate those accounts. Um, but I, you know, whether or not that's actually set up is dependent on organizational maturity, like realistically when it comes down to it and whether or not they've got someone to, to do that sort of a, a setup across the board. Because every, every enterprise that's out, that's out there, though, like I don't care who it is, has systems that don't use those centralized mechanisms and those centralized identity providers. Um, maybe it's because the tech is old, right? And like some old mainframe application that requires its own separate, you know, authentication store. Or maybe it's just because they haven't had the time to go through and configure it. Um, it was onboarded quickly, right? Maybe in this case, the Sentry like instance just wasn't integrated, and there was somebody old. Or, you know, there was an old employee like you were saying that got access to it maybe someone got fished right um, that was the other thing if given the attack surface right um, in the web3 space given the payoffs that are associated with it if i'm to attack and actually drain wallets and make eight million dollars right um it may have been someone that saw that there was this flaw with the slope wallet and then started targeting Slope employees trying to access that Sentry account or brute forcing that Sentry account. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was an insider job by Sentry or by Slope, like an employee of one of those. I wouldn't be surprised if someone was targeted um, in order to drain those accounts because of the payoff that can be associated with it. And I think we're going to see more and more of that, these targeted attacks against Web3 companies and their supporting infrastructure because of the value and the ease of use of actually getting that money out in an anonymized fashion. Right? Uh, there's no clawback. There's no reversing of those funds. Um, unless we can figure out who owns those wallets, it's going to sit there. And who knows when they're actually going to drain or try to pull that money out. But right now, there's that, that money is stuck in those wallets until somebody, somebody decides to move it. Yeah. Anyway, I, yeah, I'm kind of ranting and going off, but that's that. Those were the conversations that we were having yesterday about the slope uh, issue, uh, just because it was it is so far reaching. Yeah, I mean, there's numerous ways that it, like you you just said. I mean, you just listed a bunch of ways that you know, numerous ways that, frankly, this could be that that, that things can go wrong. And and you had touched on um, you had touched on a little bit on IAM. Uh, a little bit about how to like identity providers and and yeah. such and so I did I did want to drop I dropped a link there um, to we recently a GitHub open sourced I say recently it was like two months ago but whatever recently enough uh, GitHub did open source entitlements which is our way of managing access so it basically it supports the open LDAP schema so you can link to your uh, identity pro provider via LDAP. And then it um, allows you to configure on a basically through repositories. You can uh, on on I mean GitHub obviously. Um, you can manage access to resources by tying uh, essentially with LDAP. You you have an org chart, um, uh, so you've got your LDAP for identity, and you've got an org chart, and you can map to and configure repository access based off of you know team membership role, whatever. And then um, periodically, one thing that's really nice is um, you will get as a, typically as a manager um, of people, you will just get these uh, pull requests that you have to approve. And they'll, it's basically what's called, I think on the article, or excuse me, it's either in the article or in the linked repos, read me, they call it audited, um, 
uh, I forget what it's called, audited access or something like that. Uh, but basically what it, what it does is it set, opens up a pull request. The manager has to approve that the team or the members therein uh, do in fact still require access and they have to, you know, basically attest to, yeah, you still need access to these things based off of you as the person you are, your role, your membership, whatever. Um, and so that that's considered, oh, I think it's called strictly audited or something like that. I don't know. Um, and then there's, um, there's uh, if you're not doing that, instead you're just saying like, hey, this team needs uh, access to these things, then you can actually just open a PR, uh, set it up as, as needed. And, uh, you know, once approved, then pretty, pretty shortly thereafter, you have the access you need. Uh, it's synchronized everywhere. So it's, it's a really nice tool. Um, I just want to throw that out there for anybody who's got like a smaller, I mean, I don't, I don't know if like, uh, I would assume an enterprise has their own sort of solution to this, but you know, who knows? So anyways, yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Figure I throw that out there. Well, I know, you know, uh, you know, as far as like, from my perspective, running a small shop, right. It's, it's, it's a struggle um, because we have like, you know, five or six, seven different like providers that we use and there's credentials across the board. There's a lot of like small, you know, kind of SaaS providers. So I'm always kind of looking for ways to improve that and, and ways to dip my toe into it where it doesn't like, it's not overly number one, overly engineered. So requires a lot of time and effort or in number two, um, overly expensive. Right. So using something like a, you know, GitHub, um, OAuth or like, you know, SAML for, you know, yeah, for identity mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, makes a lot of sense if, if the companies support that because we're in there using it on a daily basis. We're all developers that, you know, it works pretty well um, as opposed to going out and signing up for yet another service and then having to on- onboard all the applications. So uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's helpful to have those sorts of resources available to us, um, even if if you aren't the largest shop in the world, uh, you know, so. Yeah, one of the questions that was or can, no, just, yeah, kind of thing that was raised was like, what happens if a manager is out, like, or if a person that's on, there's multiple approvers um, that can be used. I just, I honestly don't remember the details of how that's actually configured, but you can set it up so that like you do have delegates that you can. Um, this has happened before, like when my boss has been out and I had to, uh, was like delegating to me to, to approve things and I think vice versa even. So, um, yeah, it, it's not like, you know, you, if somebody's gonna be out for a while, like you, we see this a lot with paternity leave, like, uh, usually people are out for at least a few months, um, you know, with us, uh, for paternity leave. So, or maternity, but, uh, sorry, actually it's different. Maternity is I don't remember the actually I don't remember how long, but paternity and maternity leave happens and people are out for whatever reason. So yeah. Cool. Yeah, I I'll have to I'll have to dig into that a little bit more because that could be useful, you know, for again, for a small shop, right? Like being able to actually take away some of that time. Delegate and approve your own access. Yes, you should. Um if you can figure out a way to do that, submit it to the uh, the GitHub uh, yeah. bug bounty, right? Like that would probably be the way to yeah. go. For sure. Um, yeah. Let's see. What else did I have on my list? Um, I mean, that, that was that's kind of the biggest things, right? Um, Sweet. Right? I, I had a question for you though. Yeah. Are you? Because like you know, just a couple of weeks ago, there was some massive flooding in Vegas. Do you see any of the the remnants of that while you're there? I have just not all like cleaned it. up. No, nothing. <laughs> no, no, nothing. I mean, it, like I said, it's, it feels a little muggy and, you know, I, like a link's a little bit older, right? Some of the common spaces you can kind of, you know, smell that there might've been something that happened. Right. But I, you know, other than that, I like, it looks, it looks like Vegas, right? Like it, they seem <laughs> to have just, you know, it's all fine. Right. Like, you know, party. You on. and I have got to eat at hash house, the go-go that's inside the link. And that yeah. place is so good. Like if I can give one recommendation on like breakfast, brunch places to eat, you should, oh, anytime you go to Vegas, you should definitely go to Hash House to go-go. Like they have, I mean, the food's delicious. It's not just like that it's huge. That's kind of a gimmick thing, right? But the, like the pancakes are this, like the, the size of a pizza. And you know, yeah. it's just a really good place. So I do recommend uh, it. And it's definitely a place yeah. I want to go with you while we're there. I think you and I and David Filio might've gone before. Maybe it was David Filio. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't, 
Yeah. yeah, I don't know if we went. We, we might have gone off strip too. We or went we off strip. Yeah, yeah. No, it was off strip. Yeah, I remember because yeah, it had room. It had like big boots. <laughs> it was off strip. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how that works, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. I don't. I, um, there was actually another one, right? Like Idor vulnerability that popped up. Idor is the other one we see all the time, right? Um, but this was Portswigger was posting about it. It was actually on hey, Reddit. Yeah. Is it broken Sorry. object level access still, or are we go with because everybody's still saying Idor where I'm at. So I'm curious, like if you've heard anybody switching to Bola yet? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I neither have I. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, it it is Bola, but it, it's it's also Idor. Like Bola is also encompassing of MFLAC, right? Of missing function level access control. I Ooh, thought they, okay. they, they, so Bola was the overarching name that in the new oh. top 10, right? So let's see. And now I'm going to cool. look it up. Yeah. But I'm <laughs> pretty sure that's, that's, that's where it's coming from. So instead of having them in separate ones, they're now under, well, now they're under broken access control, right? Ah, okay. That's what it is. Yeah. Interesting. So anyways, back, sorry. I'm yeah. just mostly just joking. Cause like, I'm like, like, yeah, so many acronyms. Yeah, direct object. Yep, insecure direct object reference, and yeah, I don't know. I do or I don't know. That's I... the, whatever. <laughs> um, we've been calling it Idor for so long that I don't know if I can get that out of my head. Even though Bola is almost as fun to say, um, Idor just rolls off the tongue. The tongue just—it's so easy, right? Um, but that, that one that I posted was that's from daily swig, right there. There's a simple IDOR phone in Reddit of all places. Um, which, and, and this is what I wanted to call out when it comes to IDOR. I, you know, I think from a, from an independent perspective as a third party that assesses applications, you know, on a weekly basis, we see IDOR in probably 90% of the applications that we test. Now it, it doesn't mean that it's like, as simple as it once was where I could see every single account that's out there, that it's all enumerable, right? Like it's, you know, account ID one, two, three, four, five, six, right? It's usually um, now more GUID values that if I can get a hold of, hold of a GUID value, then I might be able to see somebody else's um, account. I may be able to perform some action as if I were that person, maybe a different organization, whatever it is, but it's usually associated with a GUID value nowadays. So it's a lot more, uh, or it's a lot harder to actually execute an attack or find the vulnerability unless you have a su- couple of different accounts. Um, and this is what I suggest. If you're getting into AppSec, you're doing some penetration testing, if you're in a, um, a bug bounty pro- a program, you're running a bug bounty against someone, you want to make sure to use different accounts in order to do this authorization testing, to look for things like IDOR and broken access control. You've got to have different accounts and sometimes even at different levels. You've got to have an admin account and a regular user account, admin account, an anonymous account, right? Like, however that needs to happen, but you need to have something in each role so you can pull out those IDs and do that sort of testing. If you don't have multiple IDs, it's very hard to actually figure out what it is you should be going after which I think is part of the reason why we do find IDOR and everything um, because like it just, it takes discipline to actually run through that. Right? Um, it's really easy to give a scanner again, you know, credentials logs into a web app, does its thing, tells you about like input output, you know, input validation problems, maybe some XSS, it'll find SQL injection, but it's not going to find IDOR because it doesn't have that context. So um yeah, are you reading through that article, Ken? I was actually looking at the Hacker One report because um, I didn't realize oh. it was a GraphQL endpoint at first, right? So just uh-huh. kind of just trying to understand that context a little bit better. Um, which, yeah, just it, pretty interesting. I, I, I think it's. I don't know what the I don't know what the moderator logs really um, provide in terms of. I mean, not that it's great. I mean, you got to fix it, but I, I don't know what it actually provides in those moderator logs, like how serious it is. They only paid out five thousand. They did. They did call it a high. Um, you know, I mean, high, high, I think is, is typically whatever. I won't talk about payouts. Um, that's what they chose and 5,000 is what they wanted to pay out. Uh, again, I don't know how that relates to like what's inside those logs, but it is, um, not again, I just hate to say, keep saying the same thing, but it's just not surprising, especially with GraphQL. GraphQL is a hard one, uh, to get right. Um, man, 
There's, it is. I, I can't yeah. remember the last really good. There, there's been a bunch of good talks about exploiting, enumerating GraphQL and then exploiting what you've enumerated, overloading calls so that it like bypasses authorization type checks. Um, there's just, yeah, there's so much research that's still ongoing with GraphQL. It's just a hard one to get permissioning right on. And so, yeah, again, I just want to say it's, it's yeah. yeah. Well, along those not, lines, not somebody, somebody somebody pointed out to me this crawler recently. Um, I haven't had a chance to play with it. I haven't come across another GraphQL endpoint in testing since I since we discovered it. Um, but this one's been in my back pocket, so we may as well share it since we are talking about GraphQL here. Um, I'll throw it into yeah, but it's a, it's a I'll good one, right? It. Like, yeah, it's it. You know, from what I can tell, uh, it's automated security testing. It pulls down the actual. Um, introspection runs an introspection query i think it will brute force if you don't have the ability if you don't have the introspection query available to you um and then it'll try and run through and do some of these checks that we've been you know that we've been talking about you know whether it is you know what's authorized what's not like turning on authorization starting to do some of the you know um uh, what do you call them where like you can chain uh, different requests, right? Like requests a person that has an address object that's then associated to a person, like those depth queries at times can cause problems. Um, yeah, path enumeration, look for paths, you know, user IDs, emails, brute force. Yeah, it looked like it was a good, good place. Um, graph finder tool. Yeah, I was just gonna, I was admiring the ASCII art inside of graphql.py, graph crawler, excuse me, dot pi. <laughs> on lines Sweet. 47 to 52 i was just admiring it <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty interesting it looks like they, they do have enumeration uh of mm -hmm. of uh yeah mutation points and just a general graphql schema and all that stuff so that's cool and they do a lot of parsing here um reading through yeah so and then i think there's other places that it gets processed once parsed but yeah no this is cool man like i definitely um yeah there are word lists okay cool Google, wait, what is this? Google 10,000 English no swears dot text. Oh, yeah, anyway. they're using that for, um, uh, yeah, for the, some of the brute forcing of the schema, right? Like they're looking for different English words um, that may be available, right? Um, so, and that's using, what is it? Clairvoyance is what they call it, right? That is yeah. a different tool in and of itself, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. What does clairvoyance give us, right? Field type. Yeah. So yeah. clairvoyance, that's an actual tool for, um, allows us to get GraphQL API schema when introspection is disabled. Um, so basically. It's oh, I heard yeah. about this. Oh, I have heard about this. Yeah, this is, yeah, no, no, no. This is, this is great. Like this is the one that, uh, yeah. So I'd heard about this. Where it was like, um, it, yeah, even if your schema is uh, disabled, which, or excuse me, introspection is disabled, where, you know, you can ask it to give you the schema, there's a way to brute force it. And this was the tool. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. That's dope. Like, I actually, it's funny because I've been wondering, like, what tool was that? And yeah, awesome. Now I'm just going to, I have it. Super sweet. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So both, yeah, that's, those are so useful. Um like I said, I, I haven't had an opportunity to do that quite yet, right? Or to use it quite yet um, because of the, yeah. I, I mean, just the apps that we've been looking at, like haven't had GraphQL up to this point, but there's a lot of um, companies out there, especially in the bug bounty space that are using GraphQL. So having this in your back pocket as a bug bounty researcher or as a pen tester is going to pay off eventually. Um, you just, you should be familiar with it. You should try it out if you, if you can. Absolutely. Um, let's see what else. I know. I know you have a hard stop today, so I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. I just because I, I got a. Right? I'm a. Yeah. I'm a manager can, now. Can, no, he's a manager. He he does he doesn't do technical things. That's the reason he's not even and... at, at DefCon, right? Like he's just. I know. I just I just drink coffee and do spreadsheets <laughs> and meetings and talk about synergy a lot. It's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty sweet <laughs> sweet gig. No, yeah. No. Uh, no, I do. Unfortunately, today I have like meetings, um, a lot of meetings, so kind of stacked on no. each other. You know, it's one of those days. But uh, no, it's actually been really, really fun to watch. Um, 
I don't know, on another note, it's been interesting to just watch the growth since acquisition and uh-huh. then watching how our teams have been built out. You know, we were like six people when I joined total between AppSec and ProdSec. We combined, grew out. Now we're like 40-something people, I think, um, maybe more or whatever. Anyways, and then security as a whole and the company as a whole has grown. And it's, it's just interesting being a part of that. And maybe one day I'll unpack all of the challenges and the, the things that we've experienced and, uh, you know, lessons learned kind of stuff um, as you go through those types of transitions. And, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe share share something of value with someone. But uh, that day is not today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, leisure suit, Larry. <laughs> You're asking for <laughs> Lumberg. <laughs> oh, oh, nod to Lumberg. I love it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. shout out, uh, shout out too to our uh, you know sub- YouTube subscribers. We finally hit that 1K mark, right? This last week. Sweet. Um, Thank so you. So we'll keep. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Lee, we love doing this. So we want to do more and more content. We've got a lot of ideas. It's just a matter of time and making this, you know, making this work. Um, but join join Slack as well, or listen to us on, you know, Google or whatever podcast platform you want to as well. Um, but you know, shout out on the for the YouTube followers, those that watch us there. That's great. Um, yeah, is there anything else that you want to cover for today, Ken? Um, I just like I feel like if we keep going, we're going to go over your hard stop. So I don't want to I don't want to push too hard against that today. No, no, I did. Thank you. I I appreciate that. Um, no, just wanted to say thank you to everybody. Just reiterate what you said. Yeah, thank you to everybody. Really, we appreciate it so much. Um, and if you know, like Seth had said, at the, I think it was the beginning of the podcast. You mentioned if you have stuff that you're like, hey, uh, you know. These are interesting talks that came out of the, the conferences, plural, uh, or, hey, these are things that you should really be paying attention to or talking about. Don't hesitate to hit us up and let us know. You can do that in D- DMs. I'll be honest with you. I've been really bad, Seth, about hopefully Aaron's checking our uh, email because I have not been checking it. Um, so I don't want to tell people to email us yet. Uh, I'm going to back off of that because I haven't gotten to, to, to verify that that email account is actually being maintained because like i said i dropped off of that um but so if you dm us on slack though for sure like we'll we'll, we'll definitely uh, get that uh, or you can hit up uh ken at uh, absoluteappsec.com or set at absoluteappsec.com but again i don't know if the info at absoluteappsec.com is the best avenue just yet well we'll get that yeah. sorted we're, we're everything's a work in progress always <laughs> yes it is yeah and yeah i, I mean yeah, come say hi, right? Like if you're going to be around, especially on Sunday um, at in Vegas, uh, we'll we'll set up camp probably in the link down at that lobby bar or whatever it is, and you know come 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 around and say hi uh, as as yeah as you have time. Um, I know there was you know I don't know if we have time to get into it, Ken. You were you were going to talk about the difference between AppSec and ProdSec, and then I dove straight into wallets. So I don't know if you want to give that a short uh, rundown as we close things out today, um, or if it's a wider conversation for next episode. The more we talk, the more I'm like, I don't, maybe I don't even understand. But I think what we kind of came to a conclusion on is that you know app- application security does the typical activities you'd expect of application security, uh, which is you know uh, testing, threat modeling, a lot of the security into the SDLC activities. I think what we all mutually landed on, I think, was that product security engineering tends to be more of a uh, way of influencing engineering practices with a security bend, but not just engineering practices, but product specifically. Like a good example would be our product security team um, during the early days, earlier days of my time at GitHub were responsible for building um, some of the authentication slash anti-account takeover features and things of that nature, and then handing that off to engineering, you know, as a partner, working through making sure everyone's up to speed, that the code makes sense, that, uh, you know, long-term it's main, it can be maintained by that other team, uh, by the proper engineering team uh, well. And so, I, I again, going back to the, the product security, I think it's more of when you're actually... Uh, you know, influencing the security direction of a product slash 
the engineering practices around the products. So I don't know if that's yeah. completely, maybe that definition will evolve, but that's, I, I think what we landed on as a group. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's, I, I mean, from my perspective, that's how I, I've, I have always thought about it. Right. Um, and Neil, I actually, you know, shout out to Neil and Matt Atal and like his, his path in security, right? Like he was kind of the first one that introduced that, that idea to me or to us back at, you know, the, the fishnet days. But um, the, it's the idea that application security is assessing the security of applications, right? Um, so I come in and I look at an application um, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how that application, you know, what the security level is, if there are vulnerabilities or exploits that are associated with it. Whereas product security is I am embedded with the engineering team and helping to secure the product through engineering processes, through building of code, through like... Um, yeah, I, I mean, even as far as like developer training or very specific to the product itself, feels like application security is a little bit more generic and more of kind of a, I don't want to say a compliance effort, but definitely a check in the SDLC process, whereas product security is earlier in my, you know, in my estimation and more involved with the security engineers. Now, that doesn't mean there's not some overlap, especially in smaller organizations, um, that application security engineers will get involved in actually building libraries and processes and pathways for pro for you know product engineers or developers, um, but that's kind of where that line fits for me. Is hey, we're kind of outside the the build process as an application security team, whereas a product security team is embedded in the build process. Yeah. Yeah. And as you're talking about it, it makes me realize like maybe a lot of the AppSec stuff is temporal in, in nature, meaning like it's it codes evolving and changing and you're doing a point in time sort of set of checks and things of that nature. Like even if you're threat modeling, you're kind of looking at the uh, overall way things have already been built and trying to find mm -hmm. poke holes and that stuff evolves and then you have different holes later. Whereas like as I'm thinking about it, you're, you're probably right in that if you're influencing things very early at, you're talking about much more resilient work. And uh, I just don't know that that feels good to say that out loud, <laughs> that one is maybe more just like nihilistic, like sort of the work happens and then it goes away and then new stuff is going to pop up and you're going to tackle that. It's going to keep evolving. Whereas some of the stuff like, uh, you know, going back to that authentication being built in kind of, uh, you know, data point as, as an example, like, no, that's resilient. That hasn't gone away. Yeah. It's evolved and gotten better, but it doesn't it doesn't mean that it ever it went away. It's more resilient. So anyways, yeah. that's just an epiphany yeah. I had as you were talking and listening to what you were saying. I'm like, wow, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a little sad in a way <laughs> as I think about it. But <laughs> well, anyway. <we> <laughs> yeah. All all the all the assessments that I do, you know, 10 for 10 years from now, uh, they don't matter anymore, right? Like because they're 10 years old, right? And so it doesn't necessarily evolve. It's that point in time assessment assessment. Um, so I, it is what it is. Like both, both are needed in any, you know, SDLC process. Um, you've got to have the point in time checks. You've got to, you know, you've got to have bug bounty researchers that are involved, um, in the application security process looking for things, but you also need a team of developers that is, that are building security into the product. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's all necessary. It's all part of the, the industry and what we do. So, um, well, good, Ken. Uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and close this one out and um, come find us at DEF CON. Find us online and uh, appreciate everyone listening and all the interaction today. Uh, and yeah, I guess we'll just see everybody. I, might, I don't know if we're going to get, well, we'll see what happens next week. Uh, watch our Slack channel and YouTube for the next episode. Uh, we'll get to it you know, probably after, after DEF CON and after the training. Yeah, it be, might be like another Wednesday or Thursday or something like that. Cool. Yep. Cool. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye.